Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to this week's episode of the Bombercast. Hi, I'm again your host, Sponsor34, and Grizz, we'll start with the breaking news that's come out of Essendon tonight, and it's, it's disappointing news, and that is Zach Merritt out for eight weeks. On the back of yesterday's loss to Brisbane, that's not what we needed to uh, end our weekend, is it? When it rains, it pours, eh? Look, if you're going to say there's one guy on the team that we just can't afford to get injured, it was him or Ridley, and you know, touch wood with Ridley, but yeah, that's a shocker. That is... Um... That's that's a tough one there, and the syndesmosis, or um, as I think someone on the board put it, essendonitis. Um, we just seem to pick two or three of them up every year. It's uh, really disappointing, but I suppose now guys like McGrath and Caldwell and um, maybe even Ben Hobbs, if he has a couple of good weeks in the VFL, have a chance to come in and show everyone what they've got as sort of first choice midfield. I suppose the one positive we can probably take, and I look, it's a small positive, is that it does open up that spot now for for, for an Andrew McGrath or even a Ben Hobbs, as you say, to really take the take the opportunity by the scruff of the neck and show us what they're made of. And I will just say, Syndesmosis, uh, Sam Walsh did have that injury, and they were talking that he wouldn't be back until, you know, round five, round six. And he came back yep. in round two and played quite well for Carlton against the Bulldogs. So... You know, eight weeks, that's probably, that's worst case. And look, the way Essendon's been, it's the case we'll all look at. But it could be less. So let's just hope that it's on the Sam Walsh side of things rather rather than, than say that Jake String, because I think that's what Jakey did last year and he, he missed a big chunk of football. Yeah, yeah. So Walsh was on the, I think he was five and a half weeks. So he was basically right on the lower end of that six to eight week threshold. But yeah, look, the team moves on. Um, I wouldn't expect to see Hobbs in this week, but I think Shield, whenever he comes back, probably is the other one that we've got to consider we'll get back at some point. So we'll have plenty of sort of options to take his place in terms of role, but obviously, you know, it's Zach Merritt. We're not going to find a like-for-like in terms of quality and output on our list to start with. But, well, as we go. The other bloke, and we'll move into yesterday's game, the other bloke that might open an opportunity for in the midfield is, is Archie Perkins. Now, I thought Archie yesterday was sensational. You did raise the question earlier in the year, Grizz, whether or not Archie Perkins would be the X-Factor player for us this year. And I think at the time, it was you, me, and Kip Tastic, and I think we all pretty much said, yes, we think he could be. And, and yesterday certainly proved that. I mean... He only had 11 touches, didn't actually have a handball, 11 kicks, zero handball, so he used it by foot. But three goals won, which was, was um, something that, you know, I thought was, was excellent. And, and he was definitely involved in um, a lot around the ground. Yeah, you know, 11 touches, six of those ending scores. That's, that's not a bad ratio. We almost, this is going to sound ludicrous considering we're just talking about Zach Merritt going out of the midfield, but I don't think our forward line can afford to lose Archie Perkins at the moment. Like he and Peter Wright are probably the two players at the moment that look at all dangerous when the ball gets in their area. And yeah, like I said, the only 11 touches, but it was noticeable how effective his touches were. They were all maximum sort of damage to the opposition. A lot of them were in scoring positions. And just his movement, he, I, I find that he breaks an inordinate amount of tackles, Archie, for someone that's a second-year player. And there was that one behind where he hit the post where he broke two tackles, dodged another guy, and then from the outside of his right foot, hit the post from about 35 out. It's just outstanding. And his movement in traffic is really good. I think we, we talked about X-Factor. We are sort of talking about how he had to be our X-Factor with Stringer missing the first game and Waller missing for the foreseeable future at the moment but yeah he's been outstanding he was great on the weekend and I think we can we can talk about the weekend more generally now I thought the yesterday was a much better effort 
than it was against Geelong in terms of sort of intensity and, and work rate. We just weren't clean enough. Brisbane were far more efficient in front of the goal. They didn't turn the ball over like we did in parts and we just weren't clean enough around the ground. I don't think the effort was the issue like it was against Geelong. We, we were just sort of outclassed and our composure was found lacking at different points. And I think we ended up with more scoring shots than they did. We kicked 10-15, they kicked 15-7. That's the game right there. Like if we, if we, I counted four easy missed shots. And when I say easy, I mean basically 40 metres out or less on less than a 45-degree angle. We had March, Archie, uh, we had Devon, we had Andy McGrath and Aaron Francis and Nick Cox all in the first half missed shots within that range. And if we hit, you know, three of those, I think at one point we would have been 8-5 instead of 4-9 or something. It was just unbelievable. You're right. Yesterday's effort was there for most of the game. I thought it was a little bit disappointing when they got that run on, which which we will touch on uh, a little bit later. But by and large, the effort was much improved compared to Geelong. The, the desire to run back, as it were, and... Um, I actually thought that, you know, that started very early, obviously, with, with Jake Stringer. And we knew that, that he would come out and play a, uh, a pivotal role early. And Jakey was, was, was okay, I think, the best way to put him yesterday. Um, he had 15 touches, kicked that goal and looked good, really good early. But I don't think anyone could say that yesterday's improvement was down solely to Jake Stringer. I thought a lot of players stepped up. I thought Darcy Parrish was one that definitely stepped up yesterday. We were pretty critical of him last week. You know, he had a lot of late touches, had a lot of junk touches, as it was called yesterday. You know, yesterday he had 35 touches, but his metres gained was was much better. So he had 689 metres gained and led us for that stat. So, you know, that sort of player, we we were calling for him to stand up this week and, and show a bit more leadership. And there was a stage there in that, uh, second quarter where, you know, Archie Perkins went to, basically there was a, there was a kick that Brisbane player marked and Archie sort of went to take off and Darcy pointed and said, you have to take the mark because there's no one else. So he you know, really got vocal at Archie and that's the kind of thing you want to see from someone like Darcy Parrish now, really being a leader on that ground. And, and the other bloke I thought that did really well early on and unfortunately his chances obviously dissipated as, as our dominant sort of waned after that you know, first quarter and a half. That was Peter Wright. His his first half in particular was sensational yesterday and, and showed a lot more attack than than he did the week prior. And and I think one of the big reasons why was was the inclusion of Aaron Francis. Because because the week before now Kane Bourne won in his first game, you can't criticize the bloke too much. But Geelong were very happy to run off Kane Bourne last week. They were happy to, to leave him and have and you know go and double and triple team Peter Wright and and whether it's because Brisbane respected Aaron Francis more, or I actually think it's because Aaron Francis is, you know, an AFL quality player and was in the right spots, in the dangerous spots. Brisbane weren't able to just run off and and dominate like they like Geelong did against Baldwin. So I thought that just gave Wright a little bit more of a a chance one on one rather than the group pack he had to try and mark over last week. Yeah, we'll have to agree to disagree on Francis. I was I sort of felt wanting for a lot of his game. And a lot of it's probably just his first game back for a while. But I thought, you know, he, second half, he was better than the first. But he, he was a bit of a non-factor. But you, you are correct in that. He's just more of a threat that teams sort of won't zone off him as much as they might do to a, a Baldwin or, say, even a, a Guelphie or whatever um, playing forward. But I thought the, the reason Peter Ott was so dangerous, we were just so much more direct in that first quarter and a half of the game. We weren't 
sort of handballing back into traffic. We weren't, I suppose, just fluffing around with the ball. And you could see that the team was given instructions through the week to really link up and challenge teams going forward and to sort of just dump kicking with any care. But it got to a point where we were sort of counterproductive with our handball. There were a couple of times, I think, you know, Darcy Parrish, you mentioned, he, he was sort of emblematic of our day. So he had 35 touches, which is really good. 15 contested possessions, which led the team. But he went at 35% disposal efficiency, which, I'm sorry, <laughs> you get 35 touches, only 12 of your touches are effective disposals. You know, you've got to be better than that. So, yeah, it was sort of, he was sort of emblematic of our day, I think. Plenty of effort, plenty of work rate, got plenty of the ball. We just couldn't you know, sort of take care of it and use it efficiently. And I think when, as a team, we were making good decisions with ball in hand, we were hitting our hand passes, hitting our kicking all of a sudden we're getting Peter Wright and Aaron Francis one-on-one contest and, you know, they just look far more dangerous. So I, I think the intensity around the ball is so much better. I thought Sam Durham had a fantastic game. It's funny, picked him up mid-season draft last year. He's so important, I think. He's already a better wingman than, say, Nick Cox is just because he plays the position he has for a while. His effort is unconditional. There were times he was just throwing himself at, you know, 50-50 contests on the ground just to halve them. The tackle pressure was there. There. He's a good mark. He runs all day. I thought, you know, he really showed up a couple of guys from last week on what it means to have sort of an AFL quality work rate. I thought he was he was really, really good. And the one guy I did want to mention just before we sort of wrap up, you know, individual sort of reviews in the game, Jake Kelly, who did an outstanding job on Charlie Cameron. I thought I thought Charlie got a lot of cheap touches from turnovers by us, but when he was sort of locked in one-on-one against Jake Kelly, Kelly, you know, more than did a job on him. I thought he, he sort of blanketed Charlie really well. And, and that's, a, he's going to be a key part of our defense going forward, Jake Kelly, because he's not a huge sort of offensive threat, but he does a fantastic job one-on-one on his opponent. Yeah, you, you're right. Jake Kelly was very good yesterday. I think I posted that on the board at the time. I thought he, he's slotted into our back line nicely. Sorry, did you say Darcy Parrish had 35% disposal efficiency? That's correct. No, he had 57 according to the uh, AFL app. I can't believe it. might have been 35% at one particular time. He might have beefed it up. But I was at the game and it flashed upon the thing at the start of the third quarter. Yeah, and no. So at the, start, at the start of the fourth quarter, he might have improved it towards the end. Beery, you might need to cut out the last... 35 seconds. Keep that in there. We'll, we'll have to chat it. We can, we'll have to slide correct because it is 57, which means, you know, he's 20 of his 35 were, were considered effective by that measure. And I think there's, Ethan, if he's listening, can certainly post in a thread. I, I don't think disposal efficiency is a great indicator, um, personally, but that's, you know, yeah. each, each to their I, own. I, the other thing I'll just raise with back, just, just touching back on Aaron Francis. So yesterday, Peter Wright had 11 marks, you know, so obviously led the way. Tom Cutler had seven, getting them across the you know the half back line that sort of thing. But then Aaron Francis had six marks. I, I, I mean, look, I get that he didn't kick any goals, and you know he only kicked the two points. And he, but again, it's his first game back. I, I just, I think the poor, I think the bloke does get lost a little bit sometimes. And this isn't a, this isn't a crack at you, Grizz, though. It's probably sounding a bit of a crack at you. But, um, yeah, I just think sometimes the the bloke's coming back. It's his first game. He was good early, took a couple of intercept marks, did a couple of nice pressure acts, was part of the reason we were sort of doing well with his running off the ball. I, I mean, I don't know. Are we expecting too much of the guy on his first game back? You clearly don't. You clearly think that I, I, I'm probably a little bit biased towards him. Is that... No, uh, I don't think you're biased. I don't know what relationship you have with Aaron Francis, but um, I think... 
I, I'm at the point now with Aaron where he's what seventh year in the system, sixth year in the system. You know, you look at guys from his draft class. You're looking at sort of Charlie Kernos, yeah, Harry Mackay's, yeah, all those sorts of key position players from his draft. And you're like, okay, is it unfair to say, oh, why isn't he, you know, Harry Mackay or Charlie Kerno? Yeah, absolutely, that's unfair. Harry Himmel, uh, sorry, um, Eric Kibbutz, another one. Yeah, that's unfair. He hasn't had the sort of luck with injuries uh, that Harry Mackay and Hipwood did towards the end of last year before he did his ACL and he's had the mental health issues. So there's a whole bunch of extenuating circumstances there, but he sort of is what he is. I don't know what his upside is, right? So if we're going to say he's a 25 year old guy, he might have temps and improvement in him. Is that a player we want to be going with for going with going forward? Like, is he a nice complimentary piece? Yes, but I, I'm not sure he's anything more than maybe a third tool at either end at this point. And, um, which, which, I suppose which I, I suppose to finish my thought, I think the expectations of Francis doesn't meet the reality. And uh, he could be a handy player for the next 100 games as a third tool, and that's perfectly fine. But I just find that the gap between what people expect of him, what he is, and what he can produce, and what you know we get at quarters of the time just varies too much. But uh, I've had this argument with a couple of people on the board. He has to play because... The young guys aren't ready and we don't, you know, Michael Hurley's out, Hooker's retired. We don't have the other veteran options there. So he's obviously the best option we have going forward at the moment. My question around Aaron is, is he the best guy going forward two to three years from now? I'm not entirely sure. Uh, look, we'll move on, but I will just say the problem we've got, I think, is is people are comparing him to the Harry McKay's and Eric Kipples, which you did acknowledge, you know, is he hasn't had the same run. But the other difference between him and them is that they are all they are over two hundred centimeters. Like a lot of the compete key positions these days are two hundred plus centimeters. He's only one hundred ninety two. So, you know, if he goes on them, he's given away. Charlie Kerno's only one hundred ninety one. I would put Charlie Kerno and Aaron Francis in a similar boat of well, what have we got, Charlie Kerno? He's been missing for two years because of a chronic knee issue. I would put him in... I know Carlton supporters love Charlie Kerno, but I would look at him and go, <laughs> he's no more of a guaranteed product than sort of Aaron Francis. I know I just mentioned him as a, a promising guy from Aaron's draft, but I probably more meant Hipwood and Mackay. Look, he's a capable AFL player. Is forward his best position? I don't think so. I think his best position is in defence. He's our best option forward at the moment, which isn't a slight on him. It's just the reality... Yeah, I don't know. Uh, look, I, I'm not calling for him to get dropped or anything. I just I was sort of underwhelmed with this performance, which considering, like you said, it's his first game back, I'm I'm not going to die on that hill, if that makes sense. Like, he could well kick four goals next week and I'm eating my words and everyone's happy. I just found the stat. It was 35% disposal efficiency in the first half for Darcy Parrish. That's where I got that number from. Just yeah. for the... But he obviously improved in the second half. I mean, the other thing with Charlie Kernow is he does have, you know, the common medalist running around so sure that's the other good point so in a much in a much in a much better midfield than we do absolutely. i'm i I'm, yeah. i think most people some people might push back and say oh friends a parish and merit i would say carlton's midfield with walsh and cripps and now kennedy and and you look at all the they're, they're stacked in the midfield carlton um you know, they've sort of built the long way and it's starting to come to roost now. They're, they're a, a very much a sleeping giant, unfortunately for us. Well, we've probably 
banged on about Aaron for enough. So so we'll, we'll move on. And I, I do want to talk about our coaching. So I, look, I, I'm a big fan of truck. For some reason, now there's people on on the board who who I think somebody posted. Um, oh, what's uh, what's Alistair Clarkson up to? You know, all the, like like you know the blokes in his second year in a, in, a, in a side that is still developing. So so let's not read too much into the fact that you know people are already calling for his head, which which I think we both agree is an absurd take already is, is that a fair comment Grizz we we both think uh, that- yeah I've, I've had this argument with a couple of people on the board today and it's still in my head in look there are you you're I, I'm sure you have a couple of finer coaching queries coming up but there's a difference between having a, a sort of questioning coaching move and just declaring him incompetent and I, I feel like we just sort of that pendulum swings too quickly but c- continue your thought the first thing I want to talk about is selection. Now, I'll, I'll, be, I'll be honest, straight up, I hate the idea that Tex Wanganin's first game was a, was a sub. I think it's just... Agreed. I think it's a very poor decision. And look, it may come down to our match committee or whatever you want, but then at the end of the day, oh, I think that lies with truck. And I'm pretty disappointed that happened. Uh, I also look at selections of, of Durham, who I thought was very well, as you said, um, against Brisbane. So why wasn't he in there against Geelong? I mean, I, I don't understand that. He, to me, is, is, the, is the kind of hard-nut wingman that, that we were crying out for against Geelong. He came in, he did his job against Brisbane. Chuck can't have missed him in the preseason. He, he clearly had it. Ben Hobbs is another one. I, I don't understand why we're persisting with Braden Ham when you've got someone like Hobbs who can come into that, that midfield and, and offer us something a little bit different. Nick Cox is a wingman. Hey, so. Sorry, just with Durham, I think he picked up a niggle just before the practice matches. And he didn't play in either of the practice matches. I think the reason he missed round one was they wanted to ramp up his training a bit like Aaron Francis and Jake Stringer. But continue with... I mean, well, I mean, the other problem I had with Stringer was I don't think Stringer played VFL last week, which he needed match fitness and then we didn't give him a game. So I thought that was... <laughs> I thought that was weird. Nick Cox is a wingman. We, we've discussed in depth on here that we don't think that's his position. He needs to go forward or back and lock down one of those positions. Yeah, there's just some team selection things at the moment that, that I find weird. I, don't, I mean, I'm only sitting on sitting here on the couch watching from a distance, but they're obvious selection errors that I think we've made early in the year. And... Yeah, I'm just not sure if he's going to be able to make the adjustments that I think are that appear necessary. You know, within within a week, I mean, you can't. He obviously can't throw the the plan out the window. But you know, again, Heppel on a wing. That's a it's a, it's an odd one because he's clearly lost a yard of pace. He's clearly not up to to a wing spot anymore. So yeah, there's some questions I think about selections at, at the moment. We talked about Nick Hox. Um, I think the the speed of Brisbane's forward line, when you look at guys like Charlie Cameron and Link McCarthy and Nikai Cockatoo, I think the truck was probably just worried about Hep's foot speed being caught out there, which is which is fine, but I don't think putting him on a wing is going to help the foot speed part of things. I've said on the board today, I think Cox needs to go and take Heppel's spot in the midfield and Cox needs to take Heppel's spot in defence and Heppel needs to go in and play the David Myers carve, space-carving midfield role and just be an accountable sort of... Um, you know, Cameron Ling couldn't run very fast, but he was a hell of an accountable mid that could carve out space in a contest. That, that, that's what I think Heppel's probably role is for the next... 12 to 18 months if he's going to stick around. But I wanted to have this greater selection discussion with you just quickly. Like, for example, Ben Hobbs. If you're going to ask me, okay, would you rather Ben Hobbs play in the team as a small forward or would you rather him play 
you know, 90% game time as a first choice rotation mid in the VFL. I'm taking the VFL and it's not because I don't like Ben Hobbs or I don't rate him as a prospect. I just think when you look at an 18-year-old kid who's played bugger all football the last two years because of COVID, getting those reps in as a first choice midfielder, at least for the first month of the season, is going to be far better for him than playing on a half forward flank for the Bombers at the moment, particularly when our first three games against Geelong, Brisbane and Melbourne. And there's every chance he gets carded like the rest of the team does. And so I think, you know, Tex Wanganin, I agree completely. Pick him in the starting 22 or don't pick him. Playing him as a sub, just... Yeah, it, it, it was a poor look, to be honest. I didn't enjoy that either. Oh, so it comes down to the greatest selection. Like we were talking Aaron Francis before. I'm okay with Aaron Francis playing forward because, you know, Jones is out. Air isn't ready. Neither is, say, Zach Reed if they want to play him forward. And so you don't want to throw, you know, Josh Air into the forward line as a young player when he's not ready. And it's a similar prospect for me with guys like Ben Hobbs. They give them a month in a VFL. Kane Baldwin's the same. You know, give Kane Baldwin a month as the number one key forward. The, the selection thing with the younger guys, I don't get. Because if you throw them in before they're ready, you can do damage. I would rather give them a month in the VFL to get their confidence up. But to the greater point, yeah, there's some weird selection queries. You know, guys like Matt Wealthy and, you know, Brainham won't be in the team when Snelling and McDonald Tipping Woody come back. That's the reality. They're there because we're that short in the position. But I wonder if he's just trying to move the deck chairs around at the moment with guys he trusts until the troops get back. I'll just take your point with Ben Hobbs not you know, playing in the midfield and not playing up forward. I don't necessarily agree, though. <laughs> I, do like the, I do like the idea of exposing him to the AFL level you know, now because I think putting him on a half-forward flank isn't the worst idea because he, he can still get up around the ball and and play that outside, sort of outside the contest, like Ham is trying to do and I don't think he's doing very well. And the other bloke I, th- I, I think that has a strong case for the play them as a play them at AFL regardless, Darcy Parrish, we did play him as a forward a lot. And he's now, I think, part of the reason he's such a good midfielder is he did get up to the speed of the game. And I think we took too long to move him into that midfield position. And obviously we don't want that to happen with Hobbs, but you know, oh, I would have loved to have seen Ben Hobbs play yesterday instead of Bradenham. I would have loved to have seen him coming. Or if you're going to play a small forward, yeah, I would have loved to have seen Tex Wanganin come into the side. But I do take your point. There is, there is certainly a point to be made that, that somebody like a Hobbs or, um, I mean, you know, Tex didn't actually end up playing it, playing it all because of the fact that he was the sub. But, you know, there can be a point made, and it's a perfectly valid point, that playing them, you know, in their position in the VFL is better than out of position in the AFL. Sorry, can I just make a point there? It's more to start the season. My, my query with guys like Hobbs and Baldwin and Wanganee is that they haven't played a lot of football in the last two years because of COVID. To throw them straight into AFL is dicey for me. If you give them even just like, Zach Merritt's out for six, eight weeks. Give Hobbs two more weeks at BFL level. Then bring him in and, you know, throw him in a midfield and maybe move McGrath a half back if the midfield isn't functioning well enough for this. Does that make sense? Like, what, what's the rush to bring them in right now as opposed to, you know, three or four weeks when they're better conditioned at sort of players after not playing for two years? That's more my query. Now, if we get to the end of this year and Wanganeen, Hobbs, Air, Baldwin haven't played at least five to six games each, maybe not Air, but, you know, Hobbs, Wanganeen and Baldwin haven't played five to six games each, it's a wasted year. I totally agree in that regard. 
Yeah, look, I think for me, what the point is, I think the point is it means that someone like Braden Ham, who I don't think is ever going to be AFL level, doesn't get a game. But, you know, that's just my personal um, opinion about Braden Ham at the moment. Unfortunately, look, I hope I'm wrong and he turns out to come good. But, yeah, it's it's certainly something that I just don't see happening at the moment. But we are starting to get towards the end, end, of, the, end of the F, Grizz. So I will... I'll step back here because I, I think you, you might have stronger feelings on this. And I'll admit, I actually didn't see this live. So if I'd seen this live, I think I would have exploded just as much as, as quite a few people on the board did when it happened. But I, I only saw the replay because I actually uh, went out for dinner. So I happened to miss this particular incident. James Stewart, run us through your thoughts. And uh, I, I've had a great rant about Nick Cox earlier in the year. And, and if ever you were going to rival that rant, I think this could be that moment. I was more heated about it yesterday than I am today. I'm pretty circumspect about it. Um, all, I say, all I say is I went with my dear wife, who knows very little about football, and she watched it with me at live at the game, and she turned to me and says, they're not meant to do that, are they? And that should be all that you need. <laughs> yeah, it was just, it was one of the biggest sort of brain farts i ever seen from an AFL footballer just the ball he, he couldn't have it was almost he was so close to the ball it would have been harder to miss it than it would have been to tap it through it was that it was that unbelievable to watch it live and he, he's waving his hand in the air going oh, I touched it it's like mate you should have knocked the thing into the third row like there's no there's no excuse but my, my big and I won't rant about it but I will be really firm in that you know if we're going to talk about standards we're going to talk about intensity we're going to talk about attention to detail all these quips that were being thrown during preseason by the club, that can't stand. I, I'm I'm not on the it's a droppable offence bandwagon, partly because I don't know what key defensive depth we have behind James Stewart if we were to drop him. But that was so bad that will I couldn't actually put into words at the time, other than say that's if you've got any sort of standards, that's the first thing you'll see on the game review tomorrow morning if you're an Essendon player is. That's the sort of stuff that invites people to ask the question. You know, when fans, you know, trot out the, oh, they don't care enough or it doesn't mean anything to them and, and the media got that line out and I generally just roll my eyes because it's absolutely ludicrous that these guys, you know, go to the nth degree, nth degree they do to prepare for a football game and don't care about the outcome. But it's those sort of acts that, you know, invite that sort of speculation. It just complete nonchalance. It was rubbish. It was, yeah, it was horrendous. And if we had more key defensive depth and Zachary was healthy, I'd just about drop him for it, but we don't. So, yeah, it was sort of emblematic of our day. He did all the good stuff, got his opponent under the ball, was in a position to touch it through and just... Absolutely, yeah, it's just horrendous. Quick question, yes or no? Do you think, and it was raised on the board, do you think that he thought he was ta- it was going through the points? Do you think he just got lost on the field and thought that was a point? Well, that goes to the attention to detail because if he thought it was going to go through for a point, just smash it through anyway. Like it, it, was, it was that close. Like if he thought it was going to go through, you just like the good teams make sure of that, and people go, "Oh, well, how often does that happen?" It never happens to a Geelong. It never happens to a Brisbane. It never happens to a Melbourne because they're too disciplined to allow that to happen. I, I don't know. It went, he he was in the goal square, so I don't know what he could have, unless it took you know a Shane Warne type bounce, and you know the line of it meant looked like it was going to go through for a point, and it sort of bounced you know, sort of at right angles to go through. But he was in line with the ball. Like, just just take it and walk through. No one's going to 
but yeah, it's just I, I don't buy that at all. It was it was bad, but it funnily enough wasn't the softest effort we saw on the weekend. There, were, you know, it was much improved, I think, generally, but um, there were some soft efforts on the weekend, and that was one of them. Fun fact, it's actually not the first. If he did think it was going through for the points um, and, and made a mistake, it's actually not the first time something like that has happened to Essendon. It actually cost us the uh, the 1948 Premiership when we kicked 727. And one of those was Bill Brittingham, who was our full forward at the time, actually uh, ran the ball to the to the goal line, kicked, slammed it through, only to be told he actually kicked it through the points, not the actual. Malcolm goal. Blight did that too, didn't he? Malcolm um, Blight did that for the Kangaroos. Most I'm likely, sure but I, I, I just it just sprung my memory yesterday when when I saw that I my first thought was, geez, that's happened to us before in a grand final. But we are, as I said, we are starting to really run out of time now. So we'll quickly touch on the Melbourne game. We absolutely have to have some. I don't care who it is, but somebody has to run with Christian Petrarca, or he'll have forty touches <laughs> again and kick multiple goals. Somebody has to run with him. I know we don't play a defensive midfielder as we saw with Lockie Neal ran right and nobody went near him. You can't do that against Melbourne. Someone has to go to Petrarca. Yeah, no, nah, that's. Um, I don't believe in a hard tag, um, and, and particularly with the way Melbourne play as they set up a zone behind the ball, it can be really hard to to stick a hard tag and sort of maintain his structures elsewhere. But certainly a clearance. Um, I, I, he, I'll be quick about this. Against the Gold Coast last night, he won a clearance, got the handball, and then sprinted forward from you know the half bank flank where the clearance was and got the ball back basically 40 metres out directly in front. He just power ran and beat everyone. You've got to have someone to go with him from the stoppage or he's going to just destroy you everywhere over the ground. Uh, I think the key to Melbourne, to beating Melbourne, as always, is two things. It's you know at least halving the contest in clearances. They're such a strong clearance team. And we've just got to be so careful getting the ball inside 50 because if they intercept it, they're gone. Yeah, look, the other contest I'm looking forward to is, is Draper against Gorn because I've said before, Gorn is the prototype for Draper to reach. So uh, I certainly hope that, that we'll see Draper, not not break even, Gorn will still obviously beat him, but I do hope we see Draper at least take it up to Gorn for large parts of the game. The only thing, the only other thing I'll mention about this one, Grizz, is, is, the, is the changes. So, so for me, the changes, I think, are fairly straightforward. I'd have Zach Merritt out for Dylan Shield. I would have... Bradenham out for Tex Wanganeen. And if we really wanted to throw a, a cat amongst the pigeons, I'd bring Brian in because obviously Melbourne do have Gorn and Jackson. So maybe it could be a chance for, for Draper and Brian to, to run in tandem. Yeah, I, I would bring Draper in anyway because I think anytime Bri- Peter Wright leaves a, a Brian, so bring Brian in is anytime you Peter Wright leaves a forward 50, we look aimless. Um, he's just so important structurally for us that if we had to bring Brian in as sort of the, the second, third tall and second ruck and keep right forward, we have to do that. Um, and Draper has something to prove. I thought he had one of his more average games on the weekend. He was soft on a lot of contests and he won the hitouts against McInerney, but I thought McInerney was far more efficient um, with his hitouts and yeah, around the ground. So I I think he's got a point to prove Sammy Draper. Still young, still plenty of development left in him, but he was sort of shown up by McInerney on the weekend. So I'd like to see how he responds. And we'll see if Shields right. Side strains can be tricky. If he, if, but if he's healthy, you're right. He comes straight in for, for merit. And I, I would suppose with Wanganeen not playing, he would either he would have to play AFL or he would have to be, get a full game in the BFL. You couldn't give him two weeks off as a sub. And I don't think anyone would want to anyway. So I think it changes about right. Well, that does us for this evening, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you again for, for joining us. Uh, 
it's been a pleasure as always, Grizz. And hopefully next week we're, we're talking about the, the famous victory we've had over, over the reigning premiers. That would be fantastic.